Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's good to be here, everyone. Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? Everyone good? Online, how are you? Answer in the comments. Want to hear how you're doing. Uh, it's just great to be up here tonight. As Pastor John mentioned, we're in the book of Acts. Our series is called Unfinished. And today, we're moving into chapter 16. And uh, I just want to bring what I felt God kind of putting in my heart this past week. Uh, just something that I think is not only meaningful in this time, but very applicable, we see happening in Acts chapter 16. And so let's get into it this evening. Um, Let me start with just a little story. I was reading a little while back a story of a family who decided that they were going to spend an evening in their backyard stargazing and uh, watching the sky. Anyone ever do this? Anyone? You, You like sitting in your backyard? You like looking at the stars? You enjoy this kind of thing? I see a few hands. Awesome. And so they spent the evening back there, and after they were done, I think maybe they saw a couple shooting stars, a couple cool constellations. It looked kind of neat back there, but they didn't see anything that that blew their minds. The next day, the dad of the family goes to work, and he goes through his usual routine of having a coffee and reading the morning newspaper. And as he's reading the newspaper, he's struck by an article that he comes across that talks about a meteor shower that's actually happening in their area. It happened the last two days, and it's happening for a little while longer. And so he gets this idea. They were out looking at stars the night before and didn't see anything, but they were going to be prepared for it that, the next evening they went out. So he gets home that evening, lets the family know that they're going to do the same thing that night, except for this time they get really determined and they pull out the telescopes. And they're not just casually glancing at this point, but they actually become pretty intentional about it. And as they're looking up into the sky through the telescopes, they see the beauty that the meteor shower brings. And they see things that they couldn't see the night before when they looked with less intention. And it was amazing what they saw once they were intentionally focused. You see, it's not that anything changed in the sky between the previous evening and this evening. The difference was one night they just kind of casually gazed, but the next night they intentionally looked to the sky. And as I think about that story, as I read through that, and as I started applying it to my life, I thought about What about our lives? What have we perhaps missed out on? Because perhaps we've maybe taken a casual attitude towards it rather than being intentional in what we're doing. I wonder what great things we failed to see because we've taken such a casual attitude instead of one of intention. Because what we focus in on our lives matters. It really matters. Think about it. If you didn't pay your bills, if you didn't eat, if you didn't go to work, that would become harmful to you, wouldn't it? It'd become harmful to the way you live. And so what we focus on matters, and what we focus on as Christians matters too. Because if we're not intentionally focused 
on what God wants our eyes and hearts to be focused on, it can be very easy for us to take a casual attitude and just kind of miss it all and miss the point of it. Are you with me? And so keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to eventually get back to that. But Acts chapter 16, here's what's happening in this chapter. Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey in Philippi. And as they were there, they were going to a place of prayer. And as they were going to pray, this female slave approaches them and starts following them. And she, the scriptures say that she had a spirit of divination in her. And so she starts to follow them around. And she begins to say to everyone nearby, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And so here's a female slave who had the ability to tell the future, and her owners at the time were making a ton of money from her because of her fortune-telling. And, and, and she's following Paul and Silas around, and she's declaring about them who they are and what they're trying to do. And she keeps this up, apparently, for many days, and eventually, you know, the Apostle Paul just seems to get annoyed at what she's doing, and he turns around and speaks to the Spirit and says, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Scripture tells us the Spirit left her. And her owners are not impressed at this, okay? They're not happy. They're beginning to see that all the money they've made from her, all the money they've made off this ability to fortune-telling, it's all gone. It's down the drain. It's over. And so they're angry, and they seize Paul and Silas, and they drag them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And the crowd joins in, and the magistrates order them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they were flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jail guard who was in charge at the time was commanded to guard them carefully, put them in the inner cell, and fastening their feet in the stocks. Lock them up. And this is where we pick up the rest of the story. You can follow with me. Acts 16, verse 25. Here's what it says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God which is exactly what we do when we're beaten, flogged, and humiliated, and thrown in jail, right? They were singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for the lights. He rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. 
the jailer told Paul, the magistrate, magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we're Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting that they leave the city. And so we take it up here. Paul and Silas are in prison, and they've been beaten, they've been humiliated, and of course, they're doing the only thing that people in that situation would do. They're singing hymns to God at the midnight hour, okay? And there's something to be said about this, isn't there? You see, at the darkest times, they have not turned to their own devices, their own clever ideas, their own feelings, but they've somehow realized that even in this moment, in this jail cell, that A, God is worthy to be praised, and B, that God is still with them. And I don't know about you, but it's easy to, to conceive of praising God in the good times. How many of you are with me? When times are good, you know, it's easy to praise. It's easy to get involved. But these two have just experienced judgment, unjust treatment. They were beaten, flogged, humiliated without any trial. You know, think about the minor things that can kind of throw our day off. Think about the minor things that can happen in our day-to-day -day life that could cause us to forget about the goodness of God sometimes. And these two, even after all of this, they find themselves in a jail cell, locked up, their freedom seemingly taken from them, but their joy is alive and well. And they praise God, even in the middle of the night, they're thanking him, and they're giving him praise. And it challenges me. <laughs> because I, I, I think so often as humans, we're so prone to trying to solve our own problems or to try to fix things ourselves, aren't we? When we ex perhaps experience some difficulty, that's often what would I try to do, and yet Paul and Silas have found themselves exactly where they should be here. And then this earthquake comes, and it releases their chains. Their chains fall off. The doors are open. Paul and Silas now seem to be freed by this miraculous act of God. Now, here's what I find most interesting about this story, among other things. Is that most people, when reading this, would observe that God miraculously freed them. How many of you have thought that before? Anyone? God miraculously freed them here. They had just gotten into prison unjustly. And God came through with this earthquake, and he's about to get them out. Which is really an interesting thought, because actually what happens in this story is that Paul and Silas are going to be released anyways the next day. We read about that. And the magistrates came very early the next morning, realizing they, had, they probably had no grounds to imprison them in the first place, and ordered that they be released And so in a strange way, in this story, God didn't actually free them from prison. If he did free them from prison, 
He didn't do it so that they'd walk away free, but he obviously did it for another reason here. You see, this earthquake may not have been about Paul and Silas's freedom at all, but perhaps it was about the jailer's salvation. Put yourself in their scenario. You've been beaten up. You've been locked down for no good reason. You're singing hymns around the midnight hour. And then an earthquake happens, and it just so happens that the door opens and your chains fall off. What are you going to do next? I think, you know, if this was me in this situation, I could take this as a sign of God and leave. But that's not what they do. You see, many people see this story as the jailer coming to faith because of the earthquake. And they read this, and they think because of the miracle of God, he came to faith. But is that what really happened? You see, when the earthquake happened and the doors flew open and the chains came off, the jailer did not see this as a miracle of God. He probably saw it as very bad luck. And he drew his sword. And he was about to take his life. This is his reaction to the earthquake. He thought the prisoners had left and he was going to be held responsible. And so I think we can conclude that it's not simply the earthquake that caused this jailer to turn to Christ, but it's when he realized that Paul and Silas didn't leave. And he was astounded. And he was likely thinking to himself, who are these people? What kind of people act this way? You know, these people are given the opportunity to leave jail and they decide to stay. This is not normal behavior. It's not rational. And the jailer is likely dumbfounded and amazed and slightly confused by these men. And then he approaches them. When they decide to stay, he approaches them and he says, How can I have what you have? How can I be saved? And they say, believe in Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. This is the story that we just read. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me, okay? And if I was in that jail, okay, unjustly, and an earthquake all of a sudden came and my chains fell off and the doors opened, I'm out of there, okay? I'm leaving, I'm piecing, I'm done, okay? And not only am I leaving, not only am I going to walk out of there, but I'm going to take it as a sign of God's confirmation that he called me out of there and that he freed me and that he gave me my freedom. No questions asked, I'm gone. And so this is a really fascinating point in this story because, you know, the jail guard may not have come to faith if it hadn't been for two things here. Number one, a massive, miraculous earthquake that apparently destroyed nothing other than chains and prison bars. And number two, Paul's decision to remain in prison that day. And so as I mentioned, the jailer sees that the doors are open. And of course, for a Roman soldier at that time, if you let or if your prisoner escaped, you were literally dead. Okay? They would put you to death for allowing that to happen. And so the jailer drew his sword. He was supposed to take his life because in his mind he'd lost everything. So this is it. It's over. And then Paul yells out, hold on. Don't hurt yourself. We're here. We're not going anywhere. We got your back. And this act by Paul, this unbelievably compassionate act by Paul, to not leave the prison that day, even though he had every right to, even though it appears that God miraculously freed him in this moment. Paul uses that freedom. 
He makes a choice using his freedom. He chooses to bind himself still in that jail for the sake of this jail guard. Now, how many of you would say that's an amazing thing to do? Anyone? It's an amazing act. It's an amazing act. You see, the jail guard, the same guy who closed the door of the prison cell on Paul and Silas, in return, they're going to open the door of the gospel to him. That's Christ-like living in action. You see, Paul held no grudge, and Paul had no issue sharing the gospel with the very person who locked him up in that cell. And this action has a profound consequence, doesn't it? I mean, this act must have seriously shaken the foundation of that jailer because the next thing he does in the next moment is he immediately goes, wow, okay, well then what must I do to be saved? And he and his family are saved and they're baptized. And then the story gets even stranger when we keep reading on. Because the jailer takes them home, he feeds them, he cleans their, their wounds, and here's the part that we have to recognize. Paul and Silas voluntarily go back there to jail with him. Okay? They go back with him. And the magistrates come the next morning and they eventually try to release them and they say, no thanks. We'll stay. And so how can Paul and Silas decide to stay in that jail? Well, I think we get a clue in verse 25 where it says about midnight, Paul and Silas, they were, they were praising and singing hymns to God. You see, Paul and Silas in that prison were nonetheless with God. They were praying, and they were experiencing deep communion with him. And they were singing praises to him. They, in that prison cell, were with God. And so when the doors flung open, when the earth shook, they didn't just immediately run out of there because what they had sought the most, what they had cared about the most, he was already with them in that prison cell. Paul has his treasure with him in that cell. He has what was most important to him. And so when the door swings open, he didn't just run out and say, oh, finally, finally, I got my freedom. Oh, finally, my circumstances have changed for the better. No, he doesn't do that. Paul and Silas understood that the Christian life wasn't primarily about changing your circumstances so that you can better experience Christ. But Paul and Silas realized that the Christian life was about changing how you see your circumstances. And coming to recognize that wherever you're at, Christ is right there with you. Christ is right there with you. And that's something I think that a lot of us struggle with. I know I've struggled with this. Anyone else? You know, sometimes we just, we, we think to ourselves, if we could just change this, or if we could just have this, then maybe then I could serve God. I feel that often a lot of us think that in order to experience the fullness of the Christian life that I somehow have to change what's going on around me. And I hear this often in different ways. Think about how we say this sometimes. You know, if I could just get into that right relationship. 
if I can just get married, that's really the context where the Christian life's going to come alive for me. Or in some cases, it can be the opposite. If I could just get out of this terrible relationship that's draining me all the time, then I'll be able to experience God more fully. Or if I can just get out of my job and get that dream job I always wanted, or if God would just open the door to let me go overseas and do something meaningful. You know, for some reason, God's always doing cool things overseas, right? He just seems bored with Canada. So if I could just get over there, then things then would get better. They'd be better. If we can just change our circumstances to the ideal ones, then we will all experience the fullness of life with God. It's so easy to get consumed with what's around the corner, isn't it? What's on the horizon? What's overseas? That job over there is so much better. And while we consume ourselves with this, we forget that we're called to live with Christ right where we're at, right where we find ourselves this evening. And so Paul and Silas didn't make the mistake of thinking that the Christian life is on the other side of that prison cell or that it's over the horizon or that it's in the next relationship or that it's in the next job. No. They recognize that the Christian life is not always about changing your circumstances, but in changing the way that you see your circumstances and coming to recognize that wherever you are, Christ is already with you. And so they didn't see that dungeon prison cell as something horrible. But it seemed to be transformed for them. And they came to see it as the holy of holies, as like a sacred place. Because there in the midst of them was Jesus himself. And God was present with them. And God was with them even there. And so they didn't run out of there the, the minute the door was open. And that's amazing. But you see, they understood that your circumstances don't define you. Your job doesn't define you. Your relationship status doesn't define you. None of these things define you. Whether you're in a prison cell or outside of that prison cell, it doesn't define you. But the important thing is that wherever you are, that you be there with God. Now, does that mean that it's wrong to change our circumstances? Well, I'm going to say no to that because I'd be a hypocrite standing up here in front of you just moving my family over here to Saskatoon and taking a job at the neighborhood church, right? So, no, it's not wrong to change your circumstances. You see, the Apostle Paul's circumstances change so often. God called him to all sorts of different places, to all sorts of different people. If you're called by God to change your circumstances, then by all means, do it. But here's what we really need to remember. And I think we learn it as we look at these scriptures tonight. Don't fall into the trap of believing that you will somehow experience the Christian life more fully by merely changing your circumstances. And so here's a question, or another way of putting it, I guess. If nothing changed in your life, if nothing changed right now in your immediate circumstances, do you believe that you could still experience the fullness of God right where you are? Do you believe that you can know the height and the depth and the length and the love of Christ even if nothing around you changed right now? 
can you recognize that even today, he's already with you? And this is tough sometimes, and I'm not going to act like it isn't. I know it's tough, because we live in a time and culture where we've come to be defined by our circumstances, by what we do, by where we live, by how we earn our money, etc. You know, often when you meet someone, the first thing they ask you is, what do you do? Which, of course, is, is, is where do you work? And sometimes it's seen as a defining factor of who I or of whom you are. But Paul and Silas know that that's not what defines them. They're defined by their identity in Jesus. And so Paul and Silas go to this house that very night, and they preach the gospel. He and his whole family are saved. They're baptized that evening. They share a meal. There's great joy. And the next morning, Paul and Silas are free from that jail. So that's one part of this story, that regardless of where we work, live, etc., that doesn't define you. But remember this, that God has never left you and that he's always with you. But there's a lot happening in this story. And here's another powerful truth that I think we learned from Acts 16, and let's not miss this, is that Paul does this unbelievably compassionate thing. He says that God has freed me, but I'm going to stay in this prison anyways. Even though I'm free to go anytime I want, because I want to help the person over there who just so happens to be in charge of overseeing me being in here, because I care about that jail guard and what would happen to him if I were to leave, then I'm going to remain here. And as I was reading this this past week, all I could think was what an extraordinary compassionate act to do to someone. And as you keep reading, what's interesting that you see as you keep reading is that Paul does the exact same thing the next day, which is he is given freedom from the magistrates, but he again remains bound and he chooses to stay bound for the exact opposite reason the next morning. You see, now the magistrates come to him and they tell him, you're free to go. And the apostle Paul goes, um, no, I'm not going anywhere. You all need to come here and free me yourselves. I want you to walk me out of this jail publicly so that everyone can see what you've done to us. And he willingly binds himself again, but not for the same reason that he did the night before. What he's doing now is the opposite of what he did for the jailer. You see, it's not an act of compassion per se, but rather it's an act of justice. It's a direct confrontation with somebody's injustice. They were thrown into that prison cell. They were beaten and humiliated unjustly. And he's not just going to put up with it. He's not going to become a doormat. And so we have this amazing story where the exact same behavior actually affects opposite consequences. This exact same behavior has the opposite effect. And this behavior of binding oneself for the sake of others, even though you're free, let's not forget he's released, he can go. He's absolutely free, but he stays in prison anyways. And in a lot of ways, this is the act of the saints and the sages throughout the ages, isn't it? When you think about it. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. Think of Desmond Tutu. Think of Nelson Mandela. You go through this list of those who were justified in speaking out, justified in acting out and in retaliating, and yet they all bound themselves in certain ways. Not to become doormats, but as a way to say, I will now become the bigger person for your sake. 
I will now become the bigger person for your sake. And as a result, the world is changed. But they didn't just lay down either, and neither did Paul. You see, Paul wasn't a doormat. He made use of his imprisonment as a way to confront powers, as a way of saying not only have we, been, we should have been treated like Roman citizens to begin with, we weren't given a fair trial, but he's doing this in a way to say that I also want to make sure no one else gets treated this way either. So come out here yourselves and walk us out of here. And this is an experience that Paul actually later on in one of his letters, he kind of reflects on this experience. You see, the book of Acts is always the external telling of the story. Here are the things that happen. But in the book of Philippians, where Paul writes a letter to the church in Philippi, the city that he's in now, while he's writing from a prison which we think is probably in Rome, he writes the letter and he alludes to his experience of imprisonment and we get a glimpse into the way the Apostle Paul thinks about that experience of being treated unjustly. And here it is in Philippians 1. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And Paul, once again, has this, this incredible ability to effectively not be very affected by any of this stuff. And so what he describes in the letter to the Philippians is that even though he seems to have enemies outside the church, there's enemies inside the church that are kind of coming for him, that's not what matters to him. What matters to him the most is that the gospel message goes forth into the world. And somehow in the midst of sitting in jail, the, the, the one thing that's on the Apostle Paul's mind is how are we going to get the message of Jesus out? How are we going to advance it? How can I still be encouraging the, the churches? You know, he's really a complex figure, this Paul, and <laughs> how he lived. So one of the questions that I have for us when I think about this story and the way that we find ourselves in situations that we don't want to be in. Because make no mistake, Paul didn't want to be in this situation, okay? This wasn't about bring on the pain. His response is fascinating. In a weird way, it's as though Paul lives in this story on like this different dimension or a different plane somehow. It's as though he's not as affected in the same way as most people would be affected by this stuff. There's something about his connection to Jesus that's an insulator from everything that's happening that seems so awful. He still has this ability to recognize that even in that situation that God is still with him. And he, in a weird way, he's never actually in prison, is he? You see, here's what I mean by that. From the moment he's in prison, he's singing songs of praise. He's already free then. He's already free. It's as if he recognizes and says in his actions, yes, I understand that there's bars here. Yes, I understand that I'm in chains in, at the moment. But you can't imprison me. There is a place within me that you cannot take, you can't touch, you can't harm, you can't move. And it is Christ who has shown it to me. And you can't tell me whether or I'm free or not, but I live in freedom. And so in what ways in our lives do we ever feel imprisoned? Perhaps Paul is showing us that there's a place that Christ can show us that's independent of our circumstances 
that there's this place of boundless freedom for the Christian, that you are perfectly always and already free in any moment you choose to be. In any moment we, turn to, we choose to turn to Christ, we can find freedom, friends. And the second thing I observe is what would it mean, knowingly that we're completely free at all times, at any time, what would it mean to voluntarily bind ourselves as the greatest act of freedom? That's what's happening here. You see, Paul's decision to stay in that prison when the earthquake came was the greatest act of freedom that he could have done, which is, I will choose to stay here. No one else will choose this for me, but I will choose this for me. No one's guilting him to stay. God didn't tell him to do it. I'll stay out of my own reasons because of love and compassion for another person. I will voluntarily act freely by staying put in this situation. Some would call this the ethic of love. When you choose to lay something down, not because you have to, not because it's bad, but simply because you care more about the benefit of someone else and their knowing and growing closer to Jesus. That even though you have rights and freedoms, you don't cling to them. And you don't try to flaunt them. But you willingly lay them down so that someone else can benefit, so that someone else might experience Jesus. You see, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That's not normal thinking. In, in, in chapter 10, he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything's constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And church, let me say this this evening. There are a lot less dramatic ways for us to do this than simply being in prison. There are a lot less dramatic ways for us to live this out in our daily lives, these principles. And as I was pondering some of the ways in which we could lay down our rights to seek the benefit of others, it actually got me thinking about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. You see, this is kind of the point behind many of them. We restrict ourselves, in a sense, in order that we can know him better. Spiritual practices are a form of acting freedom out by living with limits. Let me give you some examples. The spiritual practice of solitude is the freedom to be alone. And some of you see that picture and you think, gosh, sign me up. You see, the spiritual practice of silence is the freedom not to speak. The spiritual practice of peacemaking is the freedom not to act with vengeance. Even though we are justified and free to speak out however we want, act out however we want, yes, we're free to do that. You won't be punished. There might be consequences here and there. But God isn't going to punish you. This is freedom. Freedom in Christ. And yet Paul voluntarily chooses to lay down his right and his freedom for the sake of another. And it's an extraordinary powerful thing that he does. And it changes the lives of a whole family. And so the question is right back to where we started at the beginning of this talk. What are we focused on today? Are we simply living for Jesus casually? Or are we living with intention these days? 
Because in the case of Paul, he could have simply focused on his circumstances or focused on his own benefit or he even could have focused on his freedoms that were his. But he didn't do that. He was all about Jesus and Christ was with them and he was his focus and he focused on others and his mission was to take the gospel to a world that needed to hear it. And so we see again that what you focus on often will determine your steps. And so if the Christian life has become all about you and your comforts and your rights and your freedoms and not about looking out for the benefit of other people, then you're doing it wrong. And sometimes I think in North America, it's easy to make it about us, isn't it? And our comforts and our rights and our freedoms which are good in and of themselves, don't get me wrong. But if your walk with Jesus has not drastically changed how you see other people and their need to know Jesus, then you're doing it wrong. Because this is where the gospel calls us to. This is what the gospel leads us to. And so what do we learn from this story? Well, I think the first thing we learn is that your present circumstances don't define you. Sure, they affect you, but they don't define who you are as a person. You see, you as a Christian find your identity in Jesus. You know, think about the circumstances that we have all found ourselves in collectively this last year as a society. Far from ideal, amen? And getting tiring, no doubt. You know, I'm with you. But this past week in prayer time here, we gather here in the mornings at Pine House, 9.45 a.m., Monday to Friday for prayer, we were talking about this, and we were trying to pray, and we had this idea that, you know, we would pray that this would come to an end, right? And somebody brought that request forth. And then somebody within the group spoke out and said, well, I get what you're saying, but to tell you the truth, during this last year, I don't think I've ever felt closer to Jesus in my entire life this close. I don't think I've ever felt this closer to God. I don't think I've ever prayed this much. I don't think I've ever sought him this much. I don't think I've ever thought about him this much. You know, I've had time to slow down. I've had time to focus on him. I've had time to look to him. And it was, it was an amazing testimony, and it was encouraging, because I think in many ways I can concur. I don't know if I've prayed as much in the years before as I have this year. And so your present circumstances don't define you, Amen. Number two, it's not about, it's not simply what you do for God that matters, but make sure to do everything with him. Do you recognize that God is with you today, even in your present moment, despite what that looks like? God is with you. And there's comfort there for us, church. That can lead us, that can direct us. Number three, Live and recognize that you are free in Christ. You see, Christians should know freedom better than anyone else in this whole world. Right? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so we need to live and recognize that in him we are free. Think about the many ways in which he set you free. If you want a question for that. But number four, and this is the last thing I want us to focus on. We are most free, not only when we can embrace our freedoms, but when we are able to restrict them for the sake of others. And so this is a story about having and finding freedom through restricting ourselves voluntarily. 
You see, this is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith. That as Christians, we are the most free of all people, and yet the scriptures still, still tell us we are servants, right? We're servants of Jesus. And so how do you know that you're living in true gospel freedom? Worship team, feel free to come back. I was reminded about this this past week as I talked with Pastor John about this topic. And I think the truth is this, is that you are living in freedom in Christ when there is nothing in your life that you can't say no to. And that includes your freedoms. And that includes saying no sometimes to your freedoms. And maybe sometimes the most loving thing we can do is not exercising our freedom, but rather laying it down for the sake of others so that people might come to know Jesus. Amen? And so how can we do this today? You see, in a time where there's all sorts of fighting and clinging to rights and freedoms, what does it look like for us to lay them down for the sake of loving other people? So this evening, maybe this week, as we worship God, as we go to him, consider the ways that the practicing of limiting oneself for a season might actually be the greatest act of freedom for you. It might actually be an act of service to other people, and in some ways, it might actually be an act of service to ourselves. What are some ways in which we've perhaps clung to things too tightly when the mature thing to do would be to restrict them for the benefit of other people. Amen? Let's pray. Stand with me. Father, I just thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the Apostle Paul's example and Silas's example, Lord, that no matter where we find ourselves, Lord God, whatever circumstance we are in tonight, that you are there with us. Lord, remind us of that tonight. Make that so real to us. Lord, get it, keep us from being people, Lord, who simply focus on ourselves, but may we focus in on you and the people that you bring down our paths. Oh God, we need your heart. We want to become more like you. And so as we worship tonight, as we contemplate this evening, as we contemplate this week, Lord God, show us ways in which perhaps we've t clung too tightly to ourselves when all this time we should have been looking to you and to other people. Lead and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together tonight. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.